Listening to the Gehenna Gaming Podcast, where we explore traditional tabletop and live action role playing games through the lens of horror. A special thank you to our Patreons for helping make this podcast possible. Settle in, Thin Bloods, grab a drink in your favorite set of dice, and let the darkness consume you. Thank you for listening to the Gehenna Gaming Podcast. My name is Mark, and we have a wonderful episode for you today with a very special guest. We are joined by none other than the Primogen. Uh, you might know him from his amazing channel on YouTube and his and his podcast, where he covers all things World of Darkness lore and these really cool, uh, snackable, digestible uh, pieces of content, along with you know some extended actual plays on Red Moon role playing. Where he recently joined the Technocracy actual play, which is a really really cool. Uh, campaign. So if you haven't listened to that, definitely check it out. But Primogen, thank you for joining us. <laughs> thank you for having me. Wow, can I can I hire you to do my pitch sale? Because that's uh, <laughs> wow. I, I am I'm blushing from ear to ear here. Thank you so much for having me. It's it's great to be uh to be with you guys. Uh, ever since we did the virtual horror con together, I've been really meaning to get back into it with you guys again. Yeah, and I've been I've been watching your channel since video one when you only had a, a couple of a couple of viewers and now wow, wow. at this point it's 10 months old and you have 3.49 thousand subscribers on youtube alone and oh, that God, is yeah. i mean congratulations thank you it's it's uh I, I try not to think too much about about it because it's just uh it gets it gets to me a lot uh i uh I used to do uh, actual plays with a couple of friends. No, sorry. Um, yeah, we did actual plays as well. We did uh, Let's Plays. did it for three years, and I think we, we hit about 260. Uh, so just looking at these numbers, I'm just, ah, you know, just, uh, just divide, it by, divide it by 10, and it'll be fine. <laughs> I, I, try, I try not to think about the fact that uh, it's grown this quickly, this much, because it's kind of frightening, to be honest. Yeah, and the kind of uh, imposter syndrome sets in fairly quickly. Oh God, yeah. Uh, I'm I'm all the time. I'm like, why are I'm doing mage right now, and uh, obviously one of the hardest uh, splats to cover. And every time I uh, I set the video to premiere, and I'm sitting there going like, oh my God, I wonder what I fucked up this time. I always feel like, oh God, someone's gonna call me out. They're gonna be like, you're just you're just a faker. You just spent like five minutes reading the book. This is how it is. Uh, but so far, the community is absolutely amazing. I get so many positive comments, so much positive feedback. Uh, it really, I mean, if I wouldn't be getting that, I definitely wouldn't be doing this anymore. I'm notoriously bad at keeping a habit. Well, you were you, you talked about Virtual HorrorCon uh, recently, where we, we had thousands of people engaged with all of the content across Twitch and, and YouTube. Um, mm-hmm. And you were amazing because you offered to Thank not you. only run games for people behind the scenes, but you also ran one of my favorite games of all time, Cult Divinity Lost. Oh, it's such a good game. I was very happy that I was able to do that. Like, I, I, I think I submitted both Vampire and Cult, but honestly, being given the opportunity to run a Cult game, uh, I think it, if, if the people listening haven't heard about Cult, which I think it's almost impossible considering they're listening to you guys, um, yeah, we talk about it a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's such a good game. Um, 
I heard it described as Hellraiser, the role-playing game, which I think is an appropriate uh, comparison. Although, regretfully running it with people I didn't know, I, I, my, my first draft for an adventure was like, I can't run this. I don't know how people <laughs> react, and I certainly can't stream this. Uh, so I had to go back and do a bunch of revisions, which ultimately, of course, made the adventure much better. Yeah, it's like that level of creativity where you have to solve a problem of mm-hmm. I'm not I shouldn't be saying this or doing this or having this game go in this direction. Um and with Colt it allows you to do that. I have oh, a yeah. I have a we have an actual play that I'm running on Twitch right now that um oh. that we're calling Good Intentions. And I'm running that game, but it was the opening was really brutal. And <laughs> after we I gave all the players um a formalized consent form and had them kind of redline some things that they were not really too keen on and, and mm-hmm. give me a thumbs up on things that they were okay with. Um, and I had to, I, I had to severely modify the, the oh, yeah. opening because oh, like yeah. you said, it's like the Hellraiser of games and I'm very much into that series and yeah, you had to really mm-hmm. dial it back yeah. a bit. Yeah. I used a consent sheet as well for the games I was running. Uh, and, um, one of the players, I think, misunderstood a little bit and basically yellowed and read almost every all single, oh, no. almost every single circle. I was like, "Oh, oh my god, I can't run this game." Uh, but we, <laughs> had, we I, I got in touch with the player and we worked it out. And it was like, "Yeah, it, it was just a little bit of miscommunication." But it is, it is certainly the kind of game you want to uh, know the players well or keep it at a level where it's still horror, but you know, manageable. Uh, it could it could be Silent Hill, it could be Hellraiser, it could be even worse, you know. It's Yeah. It's dynamic. Mm-hmm. That's what's cool about it. Like you can you can play um a really heavy handed, you know, kind of gore porn kind of game. Or mm-hmm. you can go like session nine and really, you know Oh god yeah, session nine. Great, great example for it. Yeah, uh, I think reading just reading the book of cult. I, I I recall mentioning to a couple of my friends mm-hmm. that when I, when I bought that book, that was the first time in a really long time I, as a storyteller or as a game master, felt um, inspired by reading the book. Like not just uh, going like, oh, this is a cool setting, but like, oh, I I I have ideas. I get ideas just by reading this book. Uh, I think it's really well written. It has some iffy stuff in it. I'm not very fond of their portrayal of mental illness, uh, but you know it's it give and take. And I think I think certainly anyone running a game can can get can get their own take on cult. It's a very like you said, it's a very dynamic game. Yeah, and I was thinking the same thing when I found that when I found that book. Mm-hmm. Um, I immediately purchased all, all of them, um, and unfortunately, I came in after the Kickstarter was done. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, reading that book, you're you're blown away. Um, mm-hmm. And there is some iffy stuff. However, um, there are some very explicit ways on how to handle that kind of sensitive, oh yeah, ideas and sensitive subjects. Of course, like the big picture of the angel holding the dead baby. I'm sure probably um, gave you a, a feeling yeah. of the themes <laughs> that you can deal with. I I. F- I think these games do have uh, an important spot. Uh, like they, th- these games are important in a sense that I, I f- just like I feel like horror movies and horror video games have a, have an, a relevance as well. You don't have to play cult if it's something that will uh, make you feel bad, but it it does allow people to vary their level of intensity uh, and, like you said, very clear, explicit instructions on how to not 
mess too much with your players, how to keep it uh, balanced. Yeah, and, you know, the people that are cult fans, even, you know, we have uh, a bunch of, of cult converts and cultists mm -hmm. on our Discord uh, that did watch your actual play and fell in love with cults um, because of that game. So you... Oh, wow, really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, that that's that's really awesome. Uh, thank you. <laughs> I'm, I'm very happy about that. I... Um, I, I was extremely nervous. It was actually the first time I ran a cult game. I, I started one once and we did it for an hour and then we just cut because we couldn't get into the mood. Uh, but the players were amazing. I just want to put that out there. Like both groups, both the closed game as well as the stream game, extremely good players. Very easy to work with, very, very giving uh, to me, the, the game master. Like I never felt like I was dragging them along they 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 uh went into it head first and i i'm really thankful for that yeah that's i mean really it's sort of the onus is not just on the on the gm uh but also on the players to really dig into mm -hmm. it and really buy in early yeah um yeah. so it's pretty cool that you had a, a team of players that are ready to do that yeah speaking of digging in um i was digging i've been digging into uh, some of your earlier episodes of mm -hmm. the Primogen on YouTube. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah, the Who's Who, all oh. of those Who's Who series. I like revisited them because oh. I was cleaning my pool out. Um, right. So I, I decided, you know what? I'm just going to listen to and binge a bunch of these Primogen episodes for a couple weeks ago. Mm -hmm. um, and it, you give a very succinct synopsis of these individuals that are important to the world of darkness and kindred society through additions, like all the way from the very, very beginning dark ages, all the way through to, to V five and it's seamless and it's pretty awesome. So I'm, I'm wondering what is the process that you take to go oh. through research for something like that? Oh, uh, you want to know how the sausage is made? <laughs> uh, thank, thank, first of all, thank you so much for going through those. Uh, the who's who's are actually some of the videos I'm the most happy with. And uh, I, um, I let me see here. Where do I start? All right, I'll be honest. The first step I, <laughs> the first step I take is always, and this is gonna sound bad, but the first step I take is to go to the White Wolf Wikia, um, because they always have a, a source list for every character they have. They go like, oh, this is from this book. This is from that book. Um, the the wiki is amazing. I know uh, Ian Watson uh, von Aether, the moderator for for White Wolf Wiki, uh, no, the the White Wolf subreddit, and he works for Onyx, but he does a lot of things. Uh, he's put together a really good wiki. So that's if I don't know enough about the character, that's where I'll go, and I'll be like, all right, which books are they in? I have a lot of PDFs uh, that I've amassed over the years. I'm trying to get physical copies. But then I'll, I'll go, all right, so chronologically, which books do I have? I pull them all up, um, and I just read through their sections. Thankfully, a lot of PDFs these days you can search for words in. I know with Ramona, I, uh, when I did her video, I looked through uh, the clan novel, which I haven't read since I was 20. Uh, and, I mean, she's not been in too many things, so that was a pretty easy video to make. Um, but I didn't go through. I skimmed through the clan novel. I don't. I don't have time, unfortunately, to read everything. So a lot of it is like contextualizing, going like, all right, important parts. I skim a lot of stuff. Thankfully, I've was. If there was anything I learned in university, it was to skim stuff. So um, 
uh, I think Beckett was probably the hardest video to make, my most recent one, because he's been in so many things. Um, it's, all, it's all canonized. and Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I didn't read any of the novels with him, which I'm very regretful for, because there's obviously stuff that's missing from the Beckett video. Uh, the Victorian Ages novels, the Gehenna novels. Um, there's also not entirely a clear picture of what's actually happened to him because there's been retconning with that. So it was a it was a difficult process to put together. Um, but characters are actually much more easy, much more easier uh, to cover simply because there's usually very like if you get. Kindred's Most Wanted, for example, they're one of the really old books. Most of that is still applicable, but they've done some retconning and some changes in later books. Uh, White, White Wolf is really good at, at at boiling it down in their books to the essentials. Wow, this is a very long answer, but that's the process initially. And then I just write, I try to fill in the blanks, I, I throw out words and hopefully I hit the word limit. <laughs> You're talking about redconning, and, and when it comes mm -hmm. to, you know, I don't know, things like, like clans and sex, yes, to yeah. a degree. Um, you know, for today, you don't really hear the word dignitas associated with Ventrue anymore. Oh. Um, but those are some of the major things as far as um, even histories have kind of shifted and changed a little yeah. bit. Even on the wiki, you can kind of update yourself just a bit. Yeah, exactly. It's funny that you're mentioning Dignitas because that's probably one of my most, uh, my, my biggest regrets is that I, when I did the Venture videos, uh, which was really early in the process, I failed to cover so many aspects of that clan. Like I didn't even touch on Dignitas when I, when I made those videos. And as soon as I was done, I was like, ah, oh, I imposed this limit of two videos on myself for each clan. Uh, and I feel really bad for all the Venture players who might want to look at my videos for that. So... <laughs> Dignitas is probably going to be the thing that I will make another video about later on because I feel like I robbed venture players of that in my videos. Well, I think that it it gives you an opportunity to do a like a series of revisits too. Oh I mean, yeah, that's true. Which personally, just from a content creator perspective, is is awesome because it gives you an opportunity to add more content out. But yeah, yeah. for a listener's sake, it's sort of like. Okay, cool. I listened to the first Ventru episode, and it mm -hmm. went through a very basic um, review of the of the clan. And then there's a second episode now where I can yeah. find more. You know, which is I, I just love your videos and how how snackable and how digestible they are. So um, you know, like you said, there's a word limit. So at a certain point, you kind of you're limiting yourself in a creative way, which makes it easier and more exciting for mm -hmm. for audiences to really dig into your content. I'm I'm really glad you're seeing it that way. When I started out, I uh, I wanted to. I think I described my my channel as a bite-sized lore videos, less than ten minutes, uh, and I kept I kept that really well. But at one point, I just went. I am having a lot of trouble. I think I counted it to about sixteen hundred words, sixteen to seventeen hundred words, and. I also, of course, thank my patrons at the end of my videos. And at one point, I included that in the 10-minute limit. And then I was like, I'm sacrificing a minute and a half of this <laughs> just to talk about my patrons. Uh, I, and I felt like I was cheating people out of stuff. So I just boosted it to 2,000 words. And I'm not as careful with that anymore. But I do feel that uh, if there's anything I can take away from this, like limiting yourself, like you said, limiting what you're doing, setting a word limit, really helps you narrow down what you think is important. 
um, it helps you peel away the or cut off the fat, so to speak. It's a, it's a very good method I would recommend for anyone who wants to write stuff, is to write it as succinctly as possible, then you can kind of add flourishes to it. Yeah, yeah, and, and it, it's sort of, uh, what did Ginsburg say, kill your darlings, but it's also oh, kind yeah. of garbage in, garbage out kind of thing. And <laughs> I'm verbose sure. myself, um, <laughs> and when I write, I have these little crutch phrases and crutch words or even crutch mm -hmm. concepts that lead into mm -hmm. another. So, you know, if you're editing and kind of limiting yourself to to that word count, you can go, oh, okay, this is just one of the garbage statements that I tend to make on a regular oh, basis. Yeah. No reason other than to get the creative juices flowing. Yeah, it's it's kind of, it's kind of, at, at a certain point, you have to learn to love your own voice because when you're listening to yourself and you go, I've said, albeit, and I've said, although, so many times in this video, <laughs> I'm just going to have to accept that. Um, but I, I remember early on, one of my friends was like, you cut away every single pause <laughs> between your between your uh, paragraphs. It's impossible to follow along in your video. He's, he's Swedish as well. So... Um, I, I do try to put in more breathing spaces in my videos lately, but it's still very much, you know, just hamming it out or or throwing it out there. And yeah. I hope people can follow what I'm talking about because at times it's very, uh, very detailed, especially Mage has gotten very verbose in its descriptions. Well, you kind of have to be. It's Mage, but I, and I'm mm -hmm. the, I'm, there's a lot to cover, right? Um, oh, yeah. We're the kings of long form content um we have a tendency to kind of let let conversations breathe a little bit i'm a fan of pregnant pauses um mm -hmm. as a listener probably not as enjoyable because you're like wait did it did, is it playing or is it not yeah. um, but also there's a concept of dead air which is you know in radio obviously it's a bad thing but mm -hmm. because that dead air could be could be really lent to add content oh yeah yeah, to emphasize your last statement, stuff like that. I'm I'm horrified. Yeah, terrified. Sorry, that's the word. I'm terrified of pregnant pauses. Um, I think that's just <laughs> I think that's just so unhabit I've I've had since I was a kid. Uh, but I'm very very talky, as you can probably tell. So uh, writing is actually easier for me in 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 terms of communication. Yeah, because I, I write almost as fast as I think I, I write very quickly and that that's at times very useful at times, sometimes not. But like with everything else, you get better the more you do it. Like hammering out a script these days is, is a lot easier than it was when I started with some exceptions. Beckett took a whole day to write. Um, I was lucky that I had a holiday when I was writing it because it was it was tough um, and I'm still not very happy with the results, but it's good enough. You know, that's the thing, right? You, you, you work on something and you <laughs> want to revisit and you want to go back. Even things that I've put out, I do a lot of the graphic, all of the graphic design for Gehenna Gaming and um, mm -hmm. even just some of my own little private projects that don't really go anywhere. I always want to come yeah. back and tweak. But if you put it out into the world, it's almost, I, I can understand why. Um, you know, for example, Star Wars was edited over and over and over and over again. Mm. Oh, yeah. George Lucas, because he's just, you're never really quite done. You, you see something, you're like, I want to add or change things. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think, uh, I think the advantage of being a YouTuber or a content creator is that once you put it out there, uh, it's, it's out there. Uh, people will have seen it. I've only changed a video once or twice. And I think that was 
a beckoning episode, if I recall correctly, because I I messed up the audio. Uh, But I I very much try to adhere to the idea of always moving forward, because I think that uh, if you if you get stuck in thinking about like, obviously, I'm still remembering the the, the dignitas of Ventru, because that's going to haunt me forever. Um, (laughs) But it's always like, don't look back, don't watch old episodes, uh, keep moving forward, make new stuff. In a sense, I guess I'm just, uh, I, I, I want to constantly uh, move forward. I don't know if that's a healthy mindset, but it's really, it's gotten me this far. Um, and uh, I do go back and read comments, obviously. I try to answer as many comments as I can. Uh, it's gotten a little bit out of hand. <laughs> I'm trying. Uh, sometimes I don't know how to contribute to, like, to a comment, so I don't, I don't reply to it. But YouTube has this nice feature that it shows you every comment you haven't interacted with, and you can't get oh. rid of them. So, so, uh, so they're always there. Every time I go into the comment section, I see all the old comments I haven't responded to, and I feel bad about it. Um, like a specter haunting you in the night. Oh yeah, and and it's <laughs> useful too because you can sometimes you go like, oh, now I have an, now I have a response for that one, so I'll go back and answer it. Um, but it is it is a reminder of stuff I've done. I still get comments on really early stuff that I'm like, yeah, I I, I screwed that one up. Or um, I always try to include in my description, like uh, if I got something wrong, let me know. I'll either pin your message to the top if it's on YouTube, or I'll credit you in the description if it's on Reddit. Uh, yeah, and I've noticed that with with YouTube in particular, when there's comments that are being made on a particular video. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why it could be just the culture of the platform, but correcting um, mm-hmm. the content creator is, is a big thing. So people will come in and say, um, "Actually, it's yada yada yada," um, and it's a it's a both positive and negative thing. Absolutely, absolutely. I think if you're doing an actual play, I think that's bad form going in and correcting someone. Uh, I, I, th- I obviously, whenever you put your content out there. Uh, you could argue death of an author and you know, they'll be like, ah, oh, everyone has a right to comment and criticize on it, which I actually sort of agree with. But when you're making lore videos like I'm doing, I have to pay attention to these messages because I am otherwise, you know, perpetrate, perpetuating uh, a, a, a wrong idea. And obviously White Wolf and World of the Darkness has changed. There are different takes on different things and sometimes book contradicts each other. Uh, but I still want to present the neutral perspective on it. Um, so if someone actually goes, oh, um, actually, I'll read that, um, I'll answer them. Um, I'm not going to change the videos, but I will pin their message if I think it's relevant enough of a, of a thing. Like, I got some things wrong in the first Mage video, which got corrected very quickly, and I'm thankful for that because, obviously, I don't want to give people the wrong idea. It's ultimately it's a game. So it's not the end of the world if it's wrong, but it's still, you know, it, I, I don't want to contribute to, 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 to conflicts. And when you have edition wars, like you might have in mage, these conflicts are very infected and I really don't want to put fuel on that fire. Uh, so to speak. And let's be honest. I mean, you know, when it comes to, uh, especially newish, mm-hmm. um, core books for say i don't know vampire um yeah there there are some corrections that needed to be made um <laughs> <laughs> and uh, even through even through uh additions with the same core book so it, it this is just kind of a, a thing and some people are some people are more learned about the lore some people are more learned or, or experienced with 
you know, the very, very minute details. Mm. Um, I didn't even know about, I, I, I'm sure I read it, but I, I didn't remember the um, alien concept in, in Zemisi. <laughs> oh god yeah that's from uh that's from the dirty secrets of the black hand right yes and i oh, I, I, I i think it's been it's been years and years and years and years since i read it i might have been in high school last i read it so yeah. if i did read that part i either forgot or i just never got to that part who knows but it's, uh yeah it's, it's such a minor thing obviously it's been retconned to hell and back um, oh, yeah Big but i do know that I, I think it's in the sabbat player's guide uh I think that's the one. There is a window or a, or a box about how vicissitude will corrupt. It's used like a like a um, a, a rule you can use if you want, like a, a yeah. voluntary rule that you will gain gain uh, de- you will gain uh, derangements if you're using vicissitude. And I think that was in a way kind of like a tribute to that old thing, like it's an infection, right? Um, but yeah, they, they, they scrub that clean from the, from the lore. It's interesting that they would, that they would add that little flourishing honor to, uh, an, mm. <laughs> an older, yeah. otherwise almost kind of abandoned concept. Oh yeah. yeah. They, they do that a lot of times. There are little hints at previous bits of lore that might've been dropped. Um, also when I'm reading these books, I'm, a lot of them are, my, I wasn't even a teenager when they were written. And uh, a lot of people were not even alive, obviously, who are now fans of Vampire. Sure. And and at at its peak, White Wolf was hiring a lot of people to write a lot of books. Yeah. So there's inconsistencies. There's different voices to certain characters. Like Beckett is portrayed very differently throughout all the different kinds of mediums. And you got to give them some some leeway. You know, it's they they had a deadline. We we all we've all been there. <laughs> so and of course, this uh, is before this is before the. Uh, before wikis, before oh yeah, before the internet. Yeah, I mean, part. you were you you had to rely on your editor being very good at picking up scraps if you didn't and and correcting you. I think like the revised clan books are great examples of how these things work well because you got like all the different clan books read very differently. Yeah. The Nosferatu one is my favorite, even though I'm not a huge fan of the clan itself. Oops, sorry. Um, <laughs> Shots fired. <laughs> Yeah, uh, that being said, I, I I don't dislike Nosferatu. I, I it's not a clan I particularly want to play. Um, but that being said, their clan book, the revised clan book, is one of the best ones because I yeah, just it's no love joke. the way it's telling the story. Uh, having this meeting with a bunch of different Nosferatus, with all having different takes on what it means to be one of the sewer rats. Yeah, even uh, Lord of the Clans, the way that they they handle mm-hmm. it's almost they clearly were inspired while developing. Um, that book, which is, you know, obviously a tome of, yeah. of all the clans, and you get a couple of pages for each clan. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, that that revised Nosferatu clan book is definitely my favorite. Um, That's great. From from a writing standpoint, um, I do. What? Which one is your favorite clan then? So if you're if Nosferatu is not your favorite, which is okay, it's not for everybody. <laughs> uh, I'll forgive you this time. Oh, thank you, thank you. <laughs> uh, I mean. That being said, Nosferatu is far from my least favorite clan, um, but I'm not going to say which clan that is. <laughs> but um, I mean, it's pretty obvious if you're on my Discord. <laughs> but sorry, um, my favorite clan is probably that's very difficult. <laughs> it's a difficult question to answer because it kind of alternates. But I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna say Timitsi and and 
Tremere, because Tremere are just a bloodline of Timitsi when you think about it. So basically the same clan anyway. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah, kind of. Uh, Timitsi, I think I like the most because of vicissitude, which I think is a very weak reason to like them the most. So that's why I, I think culture-wise, I like Tremere the most. Uh, but discipline-wise, I like Timitsi the most. I also kind of really like the Zabat, so that's a, something um, I thing. I'm a huge fan of the Zimitsi, um for their clan logo uh, because mm-hmm. oh, anybody who uses it, Ouroboros, I'm, I'm all about it. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the discipline of uh, vicissitude is, is definitely a big one. I've never really was all that gaga about the Koldolnik sorcery. Same, but for me, it was always kind of vague. And yeah. Um, I think magic in general, like that's weird coming from someone who says they like Tremere a lot, but magic in general has always been a little bit over my head. I'm the yeah. kind of person who plays a who plays a fighter in D and D, you know. Yeah, um, totally. Me too. Yeah, it's just roll a die and hit and kill stuff. That's that's the way I go about it. Like figuring out what spells to learn for the day. That's that's difficult. I don't want to. I don't want to think when I'm role playing. Um, <laughs> yeah, you have to think enough in life, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, but I, I think I think uh, Koldunic sorcery. I certainly got a new appreciation for it when I did my videos on Timitsi, and I I don't think necessarily any content is bad. I just think that it's for different people, like yeah. and different tastes. One at some point, I'll be like, I want to play Nosferatu, and I'll play Nosferatu. Uh, it's good that it's there. The options are there, you know. I'm also I'm a I'm an archetype purist sometimes Mm -hmm. so like when it comes to playing nosferatu i'm very much and that's one of my favorite clans if not my favorite Mm -hmm. i'm very much an archetypal nosferatu um no that's okay um (laughs) but the like when it comes to you know playing a tremere i'm very much a archetypal you know uh pyramid dedicant (laughs) tremere and the same thing with uh every other clan except for toreador which is probably one of my least favorites um just yeah. because the only way that I would probably enjoy playing that is to go against the archetype. Yeah, I think the beauty of these clans and the beauty of Vampire, in essence, is that you can you can certainly get away with doing it both ways. Yeah, uh, you're you're just as fine playing into a stereotype as you are breaking it, and I think that it's to use an. an analog with D and D, you know if you're if you're playing a fighter you can certainly dress the fighter up however you want you'll still be rolling the same way with some variations and i think everyone should have their own way of approaching playing a fighter you could be a samurai you could be a uh a, you know a european inspired cell sword from the 16th century whatever uh, but vampire is just like oh um yeah, you're a person and one of your aspects is this clan i think that's the huge difference yeah. Um, with nature demeanor, which has been replaced with V5's uh, predator type and, and uh, your touchstones and your convictions, you're making a person and then you're applying a coat of clan to that. And it's really up to you how much of that coat sticks. Uh, yeah. And the, and the way that, that clans kind of work and kind of what type of people appeal to those clans or vice versa. Yeah. Um, you know, is really all dependent on the type of person that you're building. Like I, I have yeah. a, I have this idea of, you know, the type of clan that you would, that you would like to be mm-hmm. and the type of clan that would most likely embrace you. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I would, I would love to be 
um, embraced by the tr- by the bench true. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but would they actually embrace me? Mm, yeah. Probably not. They would. I would probably, unfortunately, be embraced by someone like Toriador. Um, yeah. 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 Perhaps. I do want to talk about the the differences between those additions, specifically mm. as it relates to like the mechanics and and some of the games that you you run or played in between. Mm-hmm. Comparing B five to all earlier editions, what are some some positives and negatives? Oh, that's a loaded question. First of all, <laughs> um, I I really like V five in a lot of in a lot of ways. Um, I think the addition of touchstones is I, I I see so many complaints about it. I think it's crucial to V five to have touchstones. I think it's one of the most fundamentally important aspects of the game. Um, and the fact that people don't like them, I think, speaks volumes to why they're important. Uh, this is obviously not a super popular opinion, uh, but I very much think that Vampire kind of lost, or evolved rather, I would say, uh, away from the original couple of editions. In, in Revised and V20 especially, it very much became more of a sandbox, superhuman-ish game where you had a lot of options. You certainly could still play on the human, um, the loss of your humanity, those aspects, but the game wasn't geared towards that in the way that it was in earlier editions. And I think that V5 is just a hard turn in that direction for good and bad, because the game has moved on since first edition. It has changed. And v5 is at times very clunky in the way it tries to force yeah i'm gonna say it, it tries to force people into this play style um and i think that really when i look at v5 and when i look at how it's designed i really get the feeling that the people who wrote it are f- trying to force people to play in a certain way i don't think that's necessarily a bad thing i think it's actually uh i think it's in many ways a good way to approach a new edition of Vampire. But I think by doing that, they're making a lot of people angry. Um, because V20 was the, was the complete opposite. It was literally a sandbox. Yeah. You could build out elders. You could build out yeah. you know, very powerful vampires who are, yeah. who are immortal, right? And, yeah. and who, who in the very system basically lends itself to the older you get through the years, mm-hmm. you develop your abilities, your disciplines, and your ability to become more of a powerful kindred. So yeah. with B5, limiting, you know, for example, the five dot only rule, mm-hmm. um, it, it limits it limits that. I, I, same thing with, with um, and this is coming from somebody who, who loves V5. I, yeah. I love that edition so much, but um, I've always played the earlier editions at street level. So yeah. that's probably why. Um, when you're yeah, talking about things like touchstones, right? Like having yeah. touchstones be specific mortals is a very limiting thing for someone who live who could be conceivably a 400 year old person. A- absolutely, and I think that's where the system is. That's where that's where the common reply is. Well, just make it like a descendant or yeah. a business representative of a company you started. Like it obviously it starts not falling apart, but the yeah. system isn't quite capable of handling the the vast different kinds of play styles people are used to i'm willing to 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 bet that if vampire or fifth edition or v5 was released not related to vampire the masquerade at all um it would have yeah it would have not received this much criticism because sure 
yeah, because it, it was a bold move. And in many ways it worked out well, but in others it was it, it was a little little too bold. It was a little um it's dare we it's say hard. edgy? Uh oh god, yes. Uh, <laughs> um <laughs> I I still remember when I released my first video and I posted about it on Reddit and I said in the video, I, in my first video, I'm saying I won't be covering V5 material. <laughs> I, I, de I definitely had to eat that up. Um, <laughs> but you will notice, however, that in my uh, clan lore videos and in my lore videos, I don't go into V5. I hint at them. I yeah. hint at V5 changes, but I don't actually talk V5. Um, because I still have that. Like I'm not going to do that. But with the, with the who's who, I'm, I don't feel the same limitations. But someone got yeah. actually very upset at me, <laughs> or not upset, but they said, oh, well, that's, that means I'm not going to watch your content. He said that to me on, on Reddit. And I was like, that's an interesting response. Uh, maybe I should actually read V5 <laughs> completely before I, make that, uh, before I make that judgment. So the very same day, I went and bought the, the first three books, and mm -hmm. I read them. And I was like, I'm still not going to do that because I don't feel as at home in this setting. Yeah, but I can certainly see the merits of V5 much more now. So thank you for that person on Reddit that I unfortunately don't remember the name of at at the moment. Well, two two things on that. Um, I think it's yeah. very surprising to me that there was anybody on Reddit who said anything positively about V5. <laughs> um. There are there are there are some very stalwart defenders of V5, and there are more now than there used to be for sure. They're coming around to the dark yeah. side. Um, <laughs> and then also there's something about what you said about it feeling not quite at home. And I think yeah. it's something that resonates with a lot of, I, I call them, you know, albeit jokingly, I call them uh, V20 purists. Um, yeah. they're, they're not, they're just not a big fan of V5 and they have their edition yeah. and that's fine. Um, yeah. I know, I know people who are seriously only playing first edition and still have not gone to any of the quote new editions, like, you know, revised. Yeah, yeah um, absolutely. And that's the beauty of having role-playing games. You can certainly do that. Yeah, people still play two point five, or is it AD and D? You know, yeah. the, with the, with the, uh, THACO Taco or yeah, you, taco. yeah. yeah. <laughs> I never understood that system, but I'm sure people like it. <laughs> I'm sorry, cut that out. <laughs> that was really mean. Well, I mean, same thing for we can say the same thing about um, you know one of the earlier editions of Shadowrun, where you have to bring fifteen oh god, pounds yeah. of D sixes. <laughs> oh god, yeah, I played I played that game once. <laughs> I mean, the, the early editions of, of Shadowrun. I think, I, I really don't think there's anything wrong with people saying this is not my edition with Vampire. Um, and unfortunately for them, I'm almost positive there won't be any new V20 content officially released. I think no. the Onyx Path even took that away from their website. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, took away that they're looking for people for that. For that. They're doing V5 content now. Uh, well, yeah, because there's the ST vault, right? So anybody yeah. can essentially create yeah. any V20 content or any other should. earlier. Edition. Right. They should. Um, yes. I, I'm, I'm actually going to go even as far as to say, like on the topic of V20 purists, mm. uh, I, I've made remarks about this occasionally, but it's very difficult to do that without coming off as an asshole. <laughs> so I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to say it outright and, and, and just say that I don't think V20 is a good addition to start with. I think V. I think I think V20 is the worst edition to get into Vampire with. Um, and Why is that? I, I think it's because when V20 was released, it was released as a celebration of the game of World of Darkness. It was a tribute to the fans. This is not me making things up. This is 
actually why it was released. Because in 2011, uh, White Wolf was pretty much dead. Like, um, CCP wasn't doing anything with World of Darkness. Um, the Onyx Path was keeping the keeping the the torch lit you know they were doing some some content i i don't even think they were doing content in 2011 i think they started after that but v20 was released as this this uh encompassing here's the best of all our editions here's everything we've released boiled down to the essentials uh new art new writing great material it's a great book don't get me wrong i love v20 and i love the content that was made later on even more but when it was released v20 was never intended as a you know a, a new way to get people into the game it was released on kickstarter i believe and i don't know how many copies were sold in stores um and at, in 2011 I, i'm pretty sure drive through rpg wasn't around as well yeah, and it's it's amazing that they didn't sell in stores. Yeah, so it was almost impossible to get your hands on one of these books yeah. if you didn't kickstart it. Yeah. And that was kind of the point. And then, you know, it, it got really popular. There was a huge secondhand selling of it, and the Onyx Path, of course, kicked off and started doing V20 content, new stuff, really good stuff. They took on the Talmahera, again, you know, the true black hand. They actually did something with that, uh, which is from Dirty Secrets of the Black Hand. And V20 evolved. It became its own edition. But the core book in itself is, in my opinion, very, very dry. Um, but don't get me wrong. I, again, I think it's a great book. But if you read the introduction in, in revised edition, for example, when you meet this person who will embrace you and he, he's talking about the history of, of vampires. So when you read, there's so much more space for prose in earlier editions of the book. Um, obviously, they didn't have that much space in in V20 because they were putting so much content in there. It's an it's an excellent book with discipline lists, and clans, and bloodlines stuff like that. But it also gives you all the information you need about the Bali in the core rulebook. The Bali were very very secretive in earlier editions. Yeah, and there's a lot. There's it, it's it felt very kitchen sink. Um, yeah. Even with the addition of the you know the inclusion of all the bloodlines and it's sort of like yeah. anybody. Any conceivable concept of a of a vampire yeah. um, is is in here, and for a new for someone who's, you know, I came in around revised, but yeah. um, for someone who's coming in around V twenty time, it's sort yeah. of like, what the hell is this game? There's so much yeah. to it, and it, yeah. it it was probably overwhelming to be honest. And I mean, originally the through Bruja, you know, they were they were yeah. conceived oh they, they were conceived to be uh, storyteller PCs or storyteller NPCs or yep, uh, non player. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Non-player characters, uh, and I think it's even described in in the book that introduced them, like the Kiasid, or uh, yep. they're they're very very rare, and I think it's also mentioned in V twenty that that they are. But when you put them right, like in a, in a list of bloodlines, um, just in the book, it kind of gives the idea that they're a little bit more common uh, than that. Yeah, they're playable that, at that point. Yeah. That being said, I have absolutely no problem with pe people playing True Bruja or Bali or Kia Sid. I, I don't want to police people's game. I just think that it's very overwhelming for a new player. And it kind of gives uh, a very different idea of what the game is compared to previous editions. And I think that's kind of, that's that's the big one for me, is especially since we've been running games um, at conventions, and yeah. there are people that are coming in that are, I've been playing since, you know, 1996. Yeah. And then, by the way, here's my significant other who's never played a game before in their life. 
and yeah. they're about to jump into into V5. And it's like, okay, yeah. here, you get a selection of five to seven clans that you can pick. Which one do you yeah. want? It's much easier, easier than here are 25 clan mm-hmm. kind of kind of clans uh yeah. and each one is so unique and it's got its own little history and it's hard to really interpret unless you read the entire book in its entirety yeah um yeah it's, i don't know it's it, it's it doesn't really liken itself to new players no i think it's like handing someone the complete encyclopedia uh compared to a phrase book you know well, that's not a good comparison encyclopedias aren't aren't <laughs> a dictionary <laughs> to a phrase book yes um it's just it's it certainly has the information you need to play. It just has a whole bunch more stuff that, uh, I mean, more is not necessarily bad. Uh, again, I'm not going to fault anyone for for liking v, v20, v, for liking v20 the most, for getting into that content. It, for me, it's just I wouldn't introduce new players myself with v20. I would use revised or v5. Um, revised, even my, my old storyteller hated revised because it had sabat and independent clans in it like yeah. those those should not be seen by players like he was second edition all the way yeah so there's certain things like uh okay here here's content for behind the gm screen yeah. and then here is your player handbook and this is all you need to know yeah and i mean there's really no right way to play vampire yeah absolutely you, I mean, I, I've seen there's there's been some gatekeeping I've been seeing in the community that's like, oh, you shouldn't play it this way, or, or this game has this theme or these moods, and you like, who cares? Yeah, like, there's it, no there's it, no right way or wrong way. Yeah, you have your own iteration of the game. Like when you buy the game, it's your game. You do whatever you want with it. Nobody can tell you how to play that game. And and I've heard about different styles of games and played in so many different styles of games myself. Yeah. Everything from like pink mohawk, you know, guns a blazing, trench coat yeah. samurai, um, to uh, brooding hair over my left eye as I, you know, yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Play some some Elysium style game to you know yeah. hardcore body horror. I mean, it's all over the place depending Absolutely. on the type of GM that you are. Absolutely, and you will find this dissonance in the books as well, in the older books. Like there, yeah. there's silly stuff. You play play bloodlines. I mean, bloodlines mm-hmm. is, is at times very like it's it's a pastiche, yeah. and then it just goes really dark, like with the with the horror, the the uh, what's it called the uh, the movies that you find the VHS cassettes with like people being murdered, being murdered, Cathedral of Flash and everything. Yeah, super dark, and then you also have uh, Chunk. You know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's I think that's that's the beauty of World of Darkness is that it managed to make that work. That it always played it straight faced, no matter if it was prestige or if it was body horror. Yeah, and it could be it could be very very silly, um, yeah. and also deadly serious. I mean, I've, I've played in games where um, the first first or second session, you know, yeah. the um, the ghoul NPC was just kind of comic relief, and then by <laughs> session five, you know, this ghoul dies, and the entire the entire uh, Coterie is cry- literally crying and upset that this yeah. imaginary character passed away in a horribly, horrible, brutal way. I mean, 
Yeah, it, yeah, of course. It breathes. The game breathes. Yeah, and I mean, isn't that really life? Like, you, you laugh with someone, you cry with someone, you fight with someone. No matter what kind of relationship, like, how, no matter how your relationship is manifesting, if you share emotions with a person, if you share, share time with them, it's going to mean something to you. Uh, if, you, if a close family member dies, you will, of course, be remembering the times you were laughing together. But that doesn't mean that it's not hurting. Um, I think a lot, I think a lot of times we get really hung up on, on uh, like you mentioned earlier, purity. Uh, I always get worried when I run a game that I'm not being serious enough. Uh, when I ran my chi uh, Chicago stories, or sorry, Chicago stories, apparently it's pronounced with a sh sound. <laughs> um, and uh, you can tell that I'm not native English speaker because I had no idea. Um, and when I'm running my Changeling game, I am always worried that I'm not portraying the lore appropriately. And I think that is probably one of the biggest fears of anyone running a game in World of Darkness, of much more so than in many other systems. Um, yeah. I, I think that if I, if I can hang on to that topic a little bit, I think that's partly why I started making my lore videos. I wanted to to make them available easily for people getting into this hobby, uh, into this setting, because it's so overwhelming. Like Dungeons and Dragons, sure you can get you can read up on Faerun, you can read up on uh, on uh, Sigil if you, Sigil. That's apparently also how you pronounce it. How do you pronounce? Um, it? I always say Sigil. It's. I read one of the old second edition books once back, and it's apparently it's a hard G, like Sigil, and oh, that is that is one of the easiest way to distinguish if someone is a clueless Burke uh, or not. <laughs> they say in the book, so that's why it stuck with me. So that's Sigil great. is apparently how you're supposed to pronounce it. Doesn't matter. <laughs> it really doesn't matter. Uh, but I think. A lot of people are so scared of getting into something that has so much meta plot behind it that that storytelling for it is just uh, it, it's uh, it's it's a, put, a, a turn off, um, which also I think is the reason why V five is so meta plot yeah. light in the initial. Like, forget about Beckett, forget about this stuff. It'll come later. Um, this is what's important, and I think again that's probably a huge reason why a lot of veterans aren't super fond I of it. I think also that, you know, when you're talking about things like signature characters, right, and a new player will say, oh, okay, here's a character that's statted out that I can utilize um, mm -hmm. from whatever source book, from whatever edition, and they just yeah. plop, they plop it in their game, and they might be new to it. Um, yeah. But the players that they have are, might be veteran, right? Because that, that happens yeah. often, yeah. where um, players who have never GM'd have been playing this game for a long time. And, you know, Beckett shows up randomly because yeah. it's a useful NPC sitting in a book somewhere, right? Mm -hmm. Or Loden shows up, yeah. you know, and it's like, oh, my God, everyone is, is paused at this, at this person. But the, the GM utilizes Loden in a very kind of light-handed way, similarly yeah. to way that, the way that Kane was handled in, in Bloodlines. Spoilers, mm -hmm. I guess. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Or so, was he, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, I think, I think, uh, ultimately, they're they're tools for yeah. you to tell a story. Uh, I am sparse myself in my usage of signature characters, mostly because I think it's very hit and miss. 
and it's especially for the reasons you said like you can have a veteran player who has already a very very a clear image of, for example, who Beckett is or who, uh, you know, um, Lucita is or, or Anatole. And they might take them out of the experience. Yeah. If, they, if you um, misrepresent them. That be, that, yeah. Yeah. That being said, I don't think anyone, sh I don't think any storyteller should be afraid of using them in their story. Uh, the best way to do it is just not be blatant about it. Like, yeah, throw in Beckett, but don't be like, Beckett comes towards you. He turns from a wolf into a person. Because that's, you know, already people are going to be like, Beckett, I should know who this guy is. And if they don't, it's alienating. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I think they did an amazing job with Loden in the new Chicago by, sorry, Chicago by Night. <laughs> fifth edition because he's so clearly not on the nose Loden. like any anyone who's played earlier editions know who this guy is and even if you read the book thoroughly you'll you'll know you'll know who he used to be but that's not important because this is the guy who, this is who he is now um and same with um uh helena, uh, helena yeah helena yeah. Is, is really well uh, presented as well like you can tell she's powerful and important but her fight with Menele, it's not important to, to your story right now. Um, and I introduced... I just dropped his name. Um, and when I ran Chicago by Night, the La Sombra, his nickname, The Hound, Tally. There, there, there we go, Tally. I, I dropped Tally in my story that I made. Uh, but again, it's not important what he's done. That's really not what the players are going to care about. What they're going to care about is how he's interacting or they're interacting or she's interacting with the players. If Beckett is an asshole to the player characters, that's of more importance than whether or not Beckett helped the neonate in Bloodlines in uncovering right. the Ankaran sarcophagus. That's just, that's just, you know, another story, another Beckett. You know, one of, the, one of my favorite things to do with signature characters is tell players to pick one. Um, to pick a pick a character from lore to attach mm -hmm. to their their um, player character through like uh, mentor or you know Malo yeah. or whatever, yeah. um, and it gives them an opportunity if they want, and it gives them an opportunity to go. Okay, I really dig this one signature character, and now this person's become so important to me, and it gives the player some ownership of that signature character mm -hmm. and some utilization of of lore that they're familiar yeah. with, or even yeah. just even while they're creating their character go through and, and kind of peruse some of that lore and go, Oh, I kind of dig, I kind of dig this guy uh, or this girl. And I kind of want to yeah. have them, you know, Victoria Ash, what is she all about? I dig her style. Yeah. I want her to be connected to my I character like for whatever reason. I like that. That's and, a real, that's a really good way to approach it. Right. And it's cool because then, then when they do show up, it's you are guided by your player a little bit. Yeah. It's sort of like, yeah. Okay, how often do you want to like? I call my man, my Mallow, my mentor, yeah, Victoria, yeah. and you can tell it's very important to them, so you can add levity to yeah. it. Yeah, absolutely, I agree. Uh, the the lore sheets are are all another excellent addition to V five because, like you were saying, they they kind of tie in these metaplot characters. Um, I, I haven't played it that way before, but now actually, you this is really inspiring. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna steal that method from you. Go for um, it; it's all yours. Amazing. I, I think it's really. Uh, I'm. I'm. One of my biggest flaws is I have many. Uh, is that I'm very bad at letting go of the reins. I feel uh, I've gotten better at it, but I'm very uh, scared of losing yeah. control of the story. 
<laughs> and, so hard. Yeah. And it's like, trust your players. I've, I've learned that so many times. Trust your players. I've had sessions in Changeling where I've been sitting quiet for 40, 45 minutes while they've been hashing things out. And that's fine. They're having a great time. Pay attention to them. Listen to them. And, you know, yeah. I found that you create a when you create an NPC that you've spent hours and hours and hours and hours building out, and your players don't even encounter that person, but instead they open up like they go into I don't know a little shack or a shanty yeah. in the middle of the woods somewhere, and you're like, why are you in the woods? Okay, fine, there's a shanty <laughs> there, and there's like yeah. you got to put a person in there on the spot, right? Yeah, yeah. So you can either take one of your NPCs and kind of plop them in there, or yeah. If you create one on the spot, but either way, those kind of ad hoc NPC mm -hmm. um, entrances into game sometimes become the more interesting NPCs. Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. I've had that happen to me many times. Uh, and it is like, like you said, if you if you make too many preparations, like a, a huge, I spent weeks planning uh, Lilbrook. I was making this town in in uh, Minnesota for the Changeling game. I yeah. have like ninety NPCs. I've used five of them, and that just <laughs> that just goes to show that's such a bad way of creating a story. Uh, I learned a massive lesson from that. Like I'm never doing this again. I'll I'll have a handful of NPCs, and like you said, have them be more malleable, have them plop in, be more ad hoc. I think that's really the way to go, and. Again, I, I I totally agree with your idea that having the players pick their own uh, signature characters or lore characters is a, is an amazing way of of involving them in the story creation because it's it's gonna have an impact when they meet them for sure. Yeah, and and you you have to kind of describe the relationship between them, right? So it's sort of like yeah. I am I'm my character is attached to you know uh, Calibros and. Um, yeah. I, my character doesn't like him very much, but I, as a player, really, really dig this guy, and I really like yeah. the interplay and the and the conflict between those two. So you go, okay, cool. So I can be Calibros as an NPC, and I can kind of be a dick. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it, it, that's that's absolutely right. Like um, them giving you them giving you tools to work with. I I feel that um, one of the things I miss a lot in V five is the the flaws uh, and the merits. Yeah. I, I obviously I have I, I'm a little bit sore about it, so my opinion is not <laughs> my opinion is a little bit biased towards earlier editions. But I felt like flaws were always really useful for a storyteller to um, to to throw stuff at the players and uh, like having an enemy or like being a social pariah in the Camarilla or or a secret history. There was a lot of flavorful stuff uh, in the past. And I feel like they've really toned that down in V5. It's not gone. There's still stuff there, but there, it's not quite the breadth that there used to be. There's also a lot on um, Thin Bloods, on the Duskborn. Part of that, I feel like part of that is is to do with the fact that they were trying to bring Thin Bloods and, or Duskborn into the forefront yeah. a little bit. And by giving them more merits and flaws than anybody else has, it's yeah, kind of yeah. the best that could. I, I agree. And um, they've tried to bring in Thin Bloods since Revised Edition, I believe. Yeah. I don't think Thin Bloods were a thing in Second Edition, but I do have the Time of Thin Blood book. So I'm for sure it wasn't revised. And it never really clicked. Um, I'm personally not a fan of playing Thin Bloods, but I really think they're much more viable as player characters now. Yeah, um, I agree. I think they're really exciting right now, especially with the um, Thin Blood Alchemy. I, I never really yeah. liked them before, and yeah. with this edition, it's 
Okay, cool. Like you kind of have a style of the type of, I kind of liken it to almost um, uh, like train spotting, right? Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's, uh, it's just, I think V5 just really boils down to playing much more personal stories um, yeah. as it is right now. Although with later editions to the game, like the Cults of the Blood Gods and Chicago by Night, you are giving a- given access to um, a vampire community at large, which I think was what was sorely needed in the earlier editions, because even the Camarilla and the Anarch books didn't really present um, a-, a solidified setting to work within, I guess you could say. Um, they had NPCs, but they weren't as prominent. Yeah, and I think that the way that the Onyx Path is handling V5 with, with Chicago yeah. by Night and the Chicago Folio and yeah. um, you know the Cult of the Blood Gods soon, um, I think it is a better way to kind of bring more people into V5. Yeah, I think, uh, I think if, if you read Cult of the Blood Gods, even if you read Chicago by Night uh, and Londa by Night as well, I... F- feel like the people who are writing for v5 right now are passionate they know their stuff and uh, a lot of like very rarely do i see a decision in these books and go like why was this made especially in cults of the blood gods everything makes sense uh, when you kind of think about the previous lore and i think that's also something that might bring people who were on the on the fence you know might bring them in because it, it it makes sense it's a natural evolution of vampiric society, I would say. Yeah, and even they're they're fixing things a little bit too, which is yeah. I, I don't know if it's intentional or not. I'm going to say that it probably is because they're masterminds, but who knows? Um, <laughs> he, the, but ultimately, you know, things like um, Nosferatu be, not being masquerade breaking that yeah. they can just look like people with you know severe physical um, uh, disorders. Yeah. That was something that felt weird to me for V5, yeah. and was like, oh man, so I can't have my you know, my Nosferatu with invisible skin and no eyeballs. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I think, I think I, I can, I can sort of imagine the, the mechanical reason for that because they kind of toned down all the clan curses yeah. or banes a lot in yeah, V5. Big time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like Nosferatu, like I, I recently read, uh, actually not recently, but I read somewhere, someone did like an, an analysis of revised edition clan flaws, and and some of them are so insignificant unless the storyteller makes a thing about it, and others yeah. are constantly affecting the player. Um, but I, I, lore wise, I don't agree with that decision to make them not horrific, because that was a huge thing, and it, it and it is really like revised clan book. All these example characters kind of revolve around them being Being monsters yeah Yeah. so that it's like uh, i i think they maybe were a little bit scared of making vampires be too monstrous because also it's about humanity because i feel like the gangrels as well have been toned down quite a bit um yeah a little bit they're less animalistic and i think but with with chicago by night for example you know there's the uh Flaking her name, but the the Nosferatu who the tattoo artist um, from the Painted Lady, yeah, she has no nose and she looks like a bat, right? So yeah. it's like, oh, that is definitely masquerade breaking, yeah, uh, and br- kind of like baby stepping a little bit the the Nosferatu back to their roots and the other clans as well. Um, yeah. So I, I think I think it's being handled really really well. I love the yeah. development and the organic development 
of V5 because yeah. it's not like okay, core book came out and this is it. This is the Bible. It's all, it feels very organic and things are, are developing sure. at a natural level, which is which is pretty exciting. I agree. Um, I think V5 had a V5 has had a long and troubled development. I would have loved to be a fly on the wall uh, when they were writing V5, the mm -hmm. first couple of books. Yeah. Uh, just to kind of listen in on the design process and stuff like that. But I think, I think they're, it's a, it, they're a team right now working really hard, both to, to um, compensate for previous mistakes, but also to, to make it into a, a worthy successor of, of Vampire. And I, I, I really... Honest to God, the last couple of books that have been released, I, I read the manuscript for Cults of the Blood God since I, if you kickstarted, you get that. Yep. It's it's excellent. It's yeah. really, really good. Uh, mm -hmm. I would say it's better than a lot of earlier edition books as well. Not all of them, obviously. There I have some favorites that will never be <laughs> toppled. Uh, but it's it's amazing work. Uh, I'd say it's on that level. A lot of themes of vampire uh, revolved around subcultures in the '90s. You know, early earlier editions subcultures. I, I like to. I've said, and this is definitely not true, but I like to think that the '90s were the were the era of subcultures. Yeah, uh, and they slowly started becoming more modeled over time. I I've, I know very few people right now who will outright call themselves goth or punk, or a lot of these subcultures. They still exist, but it's. Uh, broader now it's i feel like it's more individual when i was young when i was an early teenager you would have these kids who would hang in a specific part of town or who would hang in a specific part of the city and they did specific things they had specific music specific bands they listened to I, maybe i'm old that's certainly an option but i don't really <laughs> feel like this is still as much a thing People are, are consuming music, consuming content, and kind of defining themselves in these very individualized, specific set of ideas. I play Dungeons and Dragons. I start. Uh -huh. no, sorry, I dungeon master Dungeons and Dragons, um, but I don't have a channel about that, and I don't don't talk a lot about Dungeons and Dragons except for the odd rant on Twitter, which I always regret. Regret. <laughs> uh, I I love the system for what it is. Yeah, but it's like. I think at this point, it's more like who has the time to 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 broad to be so broad to talk about all different things at the same time. Uh, I even feel like I, there's so many role playing games out there that I want to try, but I don't have the time for it. That's tough. That's tough. Yeah. I'm we're, we're, I'm I'm a huge fan of horror tabletop yeah. games, and what that means is that I'm only playing horror tabletop games. And what about some of the other ones that are, you know, a little more high fantasy yeah. or, yeah, yeah. or sci-fi? Probably yeah. missing out. Yeah, definitely. It used to be I'd buy, I'd buy a role-playing book and I'd read it, you know, one end of the book to the other a couple of times. And I I mean, that might be it. Might never play it. These days, I buy books and I'm like, all right, um, I'll use these as reference material and I might occasionally take them out and look. I don't have time to sit down and read a book, <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> which is honestly not a problem. <laughs> Dude, it's, it's, it's a blessing to be able to have this much good material. I just wish I had more time, I guess. Well, especially now that you are covering Mage, because that oh, is God, one yeah. hell of a source book. <laughs> it, thankfully, a huge part of the source book is uh, it talks a lot about the system, about the magic. Uh, that's that's the beauty of these books and the beauty of PDFs is that you can 
fairly easily uh, sort out what's lore and what's not, and they've gotten much better at it. It used to be in older edition books, you'd have to be like, oh, here's a little window about uh, this thing that's super relevant to the lore, but it's hidden with the disciplines. Now it's not so much that. They have good editors, which is a blessing. Thank your editors. They're amazing. <laughs> yeah, they make things so much so much more succinct, especially in the M20 book. There's the, they have these really um, cool boxes of content. Oh, yeah, I love those. Yeah. They're the best. I'm, I'm, so I never gave Mage enough um, attention just because I played a lot of Vampire for years. Yeah. Um, so with Mage, I just now started really digging into it. Um, mm -hmm. Right around the time that you started making videos. So it was very convenient. Oh. <laughs> so I'm, I've been digging into your videos too. Um, That's great. Yeah, so like going through M20 and kind of skipping over things that aren't so important to me or I don't really care yeah. about and just focusing on the stuff that I do as a player um, is, is, is pretty interesting. Mm. One thing that I do find interesting about the game is how confusing it is. <laughs> it is very confusing. Um, and it doesn't help that there are significant differences in the editions. Um, and I know I listened to Mage the Podcast, their interview with uh, Seth. Satirios? Is that Satirios? Satirios? Satirios. Yeah, yeah Satirios. Um, and he was talking about these boxes a bit, the ones you mentioned, and they're a lifesaver because they go like, all right, so here's what can have happened depending on how you want to tell your story. Because the editions were all very, like, had, like, I think in Revised Edition Mage, the technocracy had won, and it was more like a small group of rebellious traditions trying to fight back against the man, whereas in First Edition, it was more like the, the technocracy was in the shadows, kind of puppet mastery stuff. Um, and I think that's one of the big reasons for the for the rule for the edition wars and and these boxes you mentioned they basically break them down they go like this is what can have happened up to you how you want to cover it same with are the technocracy evil they can be they don't have to be uh and i like that approach to it uh when you're doing this kind of rules uh, the the meta plot agnostic books that the 20th editions are they're meta agnostic i'd say and i'm a big fan of of kind of taking the um, the evilness out of the technocracy and, and yeah. adding, cause they're, they're human beings, right? So they yeah. care about what they care about and you might disagree with them, but this is kind of the, the path that they've chosen. Mm -hmm. um, and it's M20, I think introduced that idea of being of, of playable technocracy, right? Yeah. I, th I think M20 did it explicitly, yeah. but I, I believe ever since first edition, cause first edition, they were not, playable and they were portrayed as very evil yeah. uh, kind of stereotypical the man um, in, in all the bad ways and apparently people wanted to play them and I read up a little bit about it like there was some pushback from the developers as well I think like I'm, I'm kind of talking out of my ass right now because I don't have first-hand experience with it but I think I think M20 did it first yes and I think that uh, a lot of the arguments are like, all right, yeah, the technocracy are oppressive. They have this one view of how things should be. They also created vaccines, you know? Um, yeah. So take it with a grain of salt. Um, and for me, technocracy is so much easier to get into the mindset of playing because when I first picked up Mage, and this was when I was 15 or 16, I read through, uh, which one has the Leif Jones uh, traditional arts? I think that's the revised edition. Leif Jones. It's revised. Yeah. yeah. I, I read through all the traditions and I was like, I don't want to play any of these. I, I was 16, <laughs> mind you. So that was yeah. 
almost 20 years ago, uh, my opinions have changed and my worldviews have changed. Well, but yeah, was- I got to say, I, ha- I shared the same experience. That's one of the yeah. reasons why I never really gave it a chance because reading the traditions is like, mm, well, okay, not really into it. Yeah, they were not... I felt like all of them... Like, none of them really resonated with me. Yeah. And, and I... Uh, I think because Mage is a game that focuses so much on the individual mage. Um, very much, like, it, back then I tried not to play myself, but obviously I played myself in games. Uh, none of these worldviews really resonated with how I perceived the world. And I think that the, um, I think that the progenitors uh, is what would have appealed to me if I knew about them back then. Um, now I'm like... Hell yeah, I can play any of these because I like the challenge and I like to ha- play as characters with different worldviews. I s- still don't think I'm very close to any of them. Maybe Celestial Chorus or Order of Hermes, which are very morally different <laughs> traditions. Um, but both of them appeal to me for different reasons. Uh, Virtual Adepts as well, I like them a lot. Well, speaking of uh, playing characters with, uh, with, with different worldviews, you've been playing... Yeah. Um, that's my segue, by the way. You've been yeah. playing. You've been playing in the technocracy um, campaign oh, yeah. for Red Moon role playing. Yeah, yeah, we did a. It was uh, it was a two shot. I think we did with yep. uh, Travis Legg, who ran it. Uh, who's one of the writers working for the Onyx Path? A great guy. Uh, he ran the game with uh, with us. Uh, it was it was amazing. So much fun. Well, I know that that you know between between your videos. That you've been putting out with Mage and and this technocracy actual play, it's kind of keying into the zeitgeist because there is a a a new a kind of uh, influx of people that are really super digging into into Mage and I'm I'm pretty sure between your videos and the and the Redmond role playing, you're probably pulling in. Um, that's probably helping. Um, but it's it's interesting to to introduce uh, plus the the Onyx Path uh, technocracy Kickstarter. But it's it's cool to show how to play those types of characters. Yeah, it was it was fun, uh, challenging. I uh, I I barely knew anything about the technocracy before we started playing. So I actually yeah. sat down and um, I think I have a photo of it on my on my Twitter. But I used a lot of post its in the M twenty core rulebook, and I read the uh, the old. Um, oh, this shows how much I don't know about uh, mage because they're called. Uh, um, no, not councils. Uh, the the different technocracy groups. Oh, called... uh, yeah, oh, hold on. Covenants. Uh, covenants. No. Covenants. Yes, I think it's covenants. See, at the, at our <laughs> listeners are probably screaming at their yeah, phones yeah. right now. That's um, fine. I'll, covenant. I'm pretty sure it's covenant. I, th- I think so too. God, I I want to look <laughs> it up, but I also don't want commission? to because I want to give people a reason. Sorry. <laughs> Is it commission? I don't know. No, I want to give people a reason to be mad because honestly, uh, I. I when I, I when I made my mage videos, it was really by the edge of my seat because I was reading up. I have a nasty habit of writing my scripts the day before I record, or even the day before they're supposed to go live, um, because I, I try to write ahead of time and I can keep it up a couple of weeks and then it just kind of, oh, it's Sunday, my video is going live on Tuesday. I guess I should start doing my research. So Uh-oh. yeah, taken. Yeah, a, a little bit behind the scenes there. And that means that I do make mistakes, um, which is also why I'm so welcoming to people pointing that out. Um, I try really hard not to. Um, and I try, mostly I try not to make statements that I don't 
know are correct. I can hint at stuff, and I do think that White Wolf is really... World of Darkness is very thankful to do that with because they're always very hush-hush about what's actually true. Um, but making absolute statements, I think, is one of the things I don't like to do. Yeah, well, I mean, that just proves that you're a Jedi. Um, <laughs> also, it's hard not to. I tend to kind of put my foot in my mouth often just because I drink a lot of coffee and I'm verbose regardless. <laughs> yeah, it's sometimes it slips. Uh, it slips through when you do that anyway. And it's it's fine. Uh, I, think, I think as long as you're... Like my approach is all right, cool. Uh, I I screwed up. Thank you for pointing that out. I'll keep it in mind. I don't. I do feel bad about doing it, but I don't get mad at people correcting me. If yeah, if I, I was sitting if I was sitting at a table, right? If I was running a game of mage and one right. of the players went, uh, actually, it's supposed to be this. I would have probably not reacted quite as well. Yeah. Um, even that being said, I'm also hor terrified of conflict. So I would have probably just go, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, but I would have gotten a little bit more upset about it. It's also different, too, because you're, you're, you're running a game as, a, yeah. as an FD yeah. or GM. So yeah. you're, it's kind of like, you, you, no, this is my world. It, that's not yeah. how it is, unfortunately. I know it yeah. says it in the book, but, yeah. you know, the rules lawyer people, I, I'm, I have a very... I have a, a very low patience for other players mm. that tend to kind of lawyer the, the GM just mm. because it's like, listen, man, we're all, or, or madam, we're all sitting together and playing this game yeah. and this GM is, is, is killing it. Like, just let them have it. <laughs> I, I think, honestly, uh, I think a lot of that behavior might stem from, uh, from coming from a group or being used to a group where it's more uh, GM versus players. Yeah. Or where, or where a rule can be, like, because, uh, okay, if you play the rules as written, if you play them by the book, it's pretty easy to die, right? Yeah, definitely. It's pretty easy to have your character die. Uh, in a game like Dungeons and Dragons, whew, it's super easy to die if, if the GM doesn't know the rules or something's being fudged. It's a system of checks and balances. Um, and I can, I can understand and appreciate if someone goes, hold on a minute, my power is supposed to be able to do this. Why am I not allowed, able to do that? But in games that I run and games that I'm more comfortable running and playing in, I, as the storyteller or as a player, have full confidence that I don't, I'm not going to kill off my players and especially not in a bungled way because I want to tell a cooperative story. I'm also extremely bad at killing off my, my players' characters, which I should probably get better at uh, or at least accept. <laughs> but I, th I think... I think if everyone just kind of goes into the mindset that we're creating this story experience here, um, that might be um, that might be better. And I think a, a last thing to add to this. Sorry for the huge rant, but I think also in a game like Dungeons and Dragons, when you have a very static progress progression, like you have experience uh, that gives gets you to the next level, um, that creates a kind of I put in this much time into this character to reach this level, and the higher level you are, the more it's going to hurt. Uh, when you no longer can play this character. Games like Vampire, Werewolf, where you get experience points in a very limited fashion, and you also get like bonus experience points for role-playing, it's easier, in a sense, to, to accept loss. Um, because I don't think the, making your character more powerful is not the main goal of that experience system, if that makes any sense. It does, and I, I'm, I'm the type of player where I will... I will utilize experience points very sparingly. 
because mm-hmm. I'll make a character and it's like, okay, this is it. I don't really care yeah. that much about and it's probably oh, yeah. the system about up, about updating my character. But if I'm playing or upgrading, if I'm playing Dungeons and Dragons, so that's a whole other ball game. Oh yeah, and it is it is a game of numbers and of rules and a, of of utilizing your experience points and. There are people that are talking about their character that they've been playing for X amount of years and is at, mm-hmm. at X level. You don't really yeah. hear that in in storytelling systems. Or no, things. no, not really. Um, and I think I th- like if I play Dungeons and Dragons and I sit down to make a character, uh, I will usually go like, "Oh, I haven't played a warlock before. I want to play a warlock," and then I then I will of course flesh this character out. I'll give them some personality and stuff. And I think that's that's my approach to. I think a lot of people approach it that way. Um, but in, in White Wolf, I'm like, oh, I haven't played, um, hmm, I haven't yeah. played a taxi driver before. I'd like yeah. to play a taxi driver. And then that's such a different, uh, I mean, yeah, it's a concept, but you, your character is not defined uh, by your powers in the same sense in, in World of Darkness. Yeah, uh, and it's almost like you get excited for, ooh, I should kill my character off because I kind of want to play a Bruja. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and... Uh, again, I, I always I always want to preface this with saying that this is not you you can play it this way in Dungeons and Dragons. It it never says you can't. Right. Uh, but but storyteller is is built around the way of creating a story focused on your personal your character's personal growth in many ways or lack thereof. And I might I might want to go okay. I played six sessions as this taxi driver and uh, I f- like you said I feel like they have I have done this story I have played this story through uh i've achieved or failed to achieve what i want to do i want to play something else yeah and it, it really likens itself to that with yeah. with i don't think i've ever i don't think i've ever had a character in, in vampire where i've played from such an extended period of time years and years and oh, years yeah. and years of the same character it's i it get i don't want to say i get bored maybe i have attention deficit disorder or something i mean i can uh, relate to it but i also know some people who have uh, long-standing characters, but I, I definitely agree with you that for me, I, I can't play a character longer than a year. Yeah, <laughs> I, run, I run out of ideas. <laughs> yeah, I get bored and I go, "Ooh, I kind of want to play yeah. that person's character yeah. that's playing yeah. with me." Can can we trade? <laughs> yeah, I mean, anyone who's run a game for me for a longer time knows the bane of me going. Actually, could I play something else? Um, I have a person on my Discord who who LARPs, and I think LARPing vampire is a little bit different because obviously you can't change how you look that much. Right. But but they've played a character for a really long time and have actually you know they have got a long history with that character and and kudos to that. Cool. I think that's cool. Um, but I I think I just want to tell different stories. I just want to be like, all right, uh, for now I'm gonna. I wonder what it would be like to play a sex worker. You know. Yeah. In, yeah. in that sense. Um, to try to picture myself, what would the life of a sex worker be? You know, going outside my comfort zone, I guess I'd, I'd say, and my comfort zone has certainly gotten way bigger than 10 years ago. Like, it's constantly expanding thanks to role-playing. You know, I think that's why um, you probably do enjoy running games, because mm-hmm. you can play multiple characters. Mm-hmm. You can yeah. jump into the skin of, of these different people. Yeah, and I think, um, I mean, it wasn't ever brought up uh, when we played the Mage game with the Red Moon role playing, but the character uh-huh. I was playing, Angela, uh, is she's a trans woman. And I immediately felt, felt the appeal of when I, because they were pre-made characters. And I 
think they're all going to show up in the final product, if I'm not mistaken. Nice. I was like, this this character's really cool. I love her. And yeah. uh, and I could see a lot of myself in her, but I could also see like, oh, cool. These are aspects like she's um, she's a Latinx, uh, comes from a family that pretty traditional Catholic uh, upbringing. So there was a bit of a clash there. I was like, this is cool. I'm sad that we didn't get to play anymore, but obviously Travis has a million things on his plates. Um, but I would not be against picking that up again because so much fun in that group. Yeah. And it's very cool to, you know, you're, you're sitting in this person and you yeah. know, okay, how wouldn't, not me, but how would this person react to things? Exactly. Exactly. And you kind of fall in love with them. Yeah. Uh, well, I feel like uh, the archetypes of old world of darkness really, uh, really helped me in, in learning how to play like that. Yeah. Cause you go, you go monster. This is how a character who is a monster is. And you go, all right, so this is, this is my baseline. This is my lifeline. If I don't know how to act, I'll open up the archetype monster. I'll read that and act based on that. Um, it's very useful. Yeah. And, and, you know, it kind of begs the question too, like when you get attached to a character that you, for whatever reason, have to abandon, mm -hmm. um, do you bring them back in some other form and fashion or do they just kind of sit in the shelf? That's a good question. And one I can't really answer because I've done both. Uh, I would say I more often than not shelf characters. Yeah. I, I was kind of, I was kind of inoculated with character loss very early on because my original storyteller uh, rather my first group we would very rarely play more than two or three sessions of a, of a, of a story before the storyteller got like oh, I'm out of ideas or the players were like we're bored let's play something else um, <laughs> and we were a close circle of friends so there was obviously no hurt feelings in there um, yeah. but I got very used to making characters um, I, I can throw together a character very quickly and still be fairly happy with the results. The downside is that I always spend very little time thinking about, like, what would they have for breakfast? <laughs> Which is why they always get kind of generic after a while, because I don't really go in-depth. And then, like, oh, this character has no personality aside from the few core traits that I've assigned to them. So that's the downside of that. Uh, I, I wish I could get really into making a character like how would a normal Tuesday look for this character? Because I feel like that really is the the key to making a character that sticks. Um, but, you know, different strokes. Yeah, what are they like when they get up in the morning or what are they cranky yeah. about on like a, yeah. a shitty day? Yeah, I never, I never, you know, I never really think about that kind of stuff. Uh -huh. I always think about what are the big things that happened to this exactly. person's life and how has it affected how they are now? Yeah. And I think those are, those are great approaches for a shorter game, but when you're playing the same character for two years, like I have so many experiences been being like, all right, suddenly my character is like a caricature or how they get, they get flanderized because yeah. you don't, you, and I, I've downloaded so many sheets, you know, with like four pages of questions to answer for your character to flesh them out. I'm like, Oh boy, I wish I had the attention to do this. Yeah. I should commit each one yeah. of you. Yeah, because it would improve my roleplay so much, and then I just don't do it. And this, it's the, this is good and bad. You can make really impactful characters for a short story, but the longer you play them, the flatter they get. And they also, they'll also kind of create a life of their own. Like, 
You oh, can yeah. have a character that's, oh, I'm going to have this character who's just really smarmy and tends to throw yeah. out one-liners a lot. Yeah. And then after a few sessions, your other players get tired of you throwing one-liners all the time. <laughs> and you're kind of forced in the position of actually yeah. like fleshing out and making a three-dimensional person. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that. That's those are the best characters that catch you by surprise. That, yeah, that, for sure. That, that evolve on their own. Um, playing a playing a Wrath and Glory character right now, like a tunnel crawler. Um, we're we're playing Necromunda essentially, and uh, he's he's been raised in the pipes, so that's all he knows. And like this guy is kind of shy, socially awkward, and weird. Turns out he's literally Mike Myers from Halloween because <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's, he's had extreme luck with the dice rolls. So he just cr- creeps up on people and stabs them. Uh, okay, I'm laughing at this, but it's just he he's. I'm scared of this character because <laughs> his social awkwardness has translated into him making really macabre jokes and then like looking awkward when people don't laugh along. And it's it's fun, but it's also like this is not what I imagined I would be playing. Yeah, this is going to get very, very dark. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and 40K thankfully allows for, much like World of Darkness, 40K also has a huge width of what you can play. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a fun setting. I played that for yeah. um, one of the stream games on BHC. I enjoyed mm-hmm. the hell out of it. Yeah, it's great. Um, obviously, huge, lots of problematic stuff in the lore, but it's yeah. at, the, at its core, it's a criticism to a lot of stuff that I also feel critical to. Uh, so, uh, like, it was created in the punk movement in the '80s, I think, with like Thatcherism and stuff like that. But that's 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 a sensitive potato, so I'm going to toss that one away. Yeah, and there's also you know new new uh, new books coming out, new books that have been yeah. coming out with some really oh, yeah. talented people. Um, yeah. You know, for sure. Like, um, I know the darker days um, radio guys are, are mm-hmm. working on a lot of that, so it's uh, it's pretty cool to see new generations kind of Absolutely. helping to kind of band aid or at the very least update. Absolutely, I think they the the edited version, the new version of Wrath and Glory is amazing. Uh, they've really done a great job. The original book was great as well, but it suffered from some serious needs for editing. Um, but this new book is great, and I think Games Workshop in general is like I don't know if you've seen the latest trailer they released for the new edition of the game. Which I have not. It dropped a couple of I think it dropped yesterday. It has a female guardsman or guardswoman, uh, sisters of sisters of battle, and Adeptus Astartes, the Space Marines, in the same video, and they're all kicking ass. Um, I would have never seen anything like that ten years ago. They would have never done that. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, it's. I can really recommend looking at it. Just, I mean, sure, you, you can say, yeah, they're 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 trying to, you know, they're trying to branch out to get more customers. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that if you're promoting content that's inclusive. Everyone yeah. wants to sell their stuff. That's just how it works. You, you, yeah, you, absolutely. Yeah. I agree. Um, sorry, I got really off track for this one, but I, I think it's a good sign that. Uh, the hard work that a lot of people in a lot worse situations than you and I are in, they've been putting in a lot of work to, to make role-playing and the board games more inclusive and it's paying off slowly, but surely. And I'm a, I'm a big fan of um, good products getting promoted and getting customers. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, these are all products, right? It's, we're not, yeah, yeah. we're not getting this, any of this stuff for free. I don't think anybody no. should get this stuff for free. No. And I think everybody no. should be purchasing um, and and voting with their dollars, so to speak. So yeah. you know the fact that you're getting, the fact that they are appealing, not pandering, but appealing yeah. to a, a wider audience for, to to more people to be more inclusive, um, just to get more people playing a really cool, awesome system. Um, I'm all about it. I'm super supportive of that. Yeah. 
Yeah, ultimately, ultimately, it's a product, like you're saying. And if you don't want to pay for it, you don't have to pay for it. Um, I, I would rather have, I would rather have a kind of ham-fisted attempt at being more inclusive than not any attempts of being inclusive. Um, I, I know, yeah. I, I know that both World of Darkness and and 40K have uh, have rather large uh, fan bases that are vehemently opposed to these changes. And I mean, sure. You don't have to like it. I like it. <laughs> That's fine with me. I'll pay for it. Um, it's I don't know. I'm kicking an open kicking an open doors here. I just I I I fail to see how how it's selling out or pandering if it's still a product that's being sold. One of the terms that I I absolutely hate um, and it just gets under my skin every time I see it or read it or hear it. Yeah. Um, is is cash grab? Oh God, yeah. When when people are talking about like, ugh, this new edition or this one book or this one product is such a cash grab. Well, yeah, yeah. duh, it's a product. Of course, it's yeah, a cash exactly. grab. Exactly. Um, and all all the while, a lot of times there are people who will who will use that terminology while promoting their own stuff and yeah. trying to get people to to purchase what they're doing. And it's I think that everybody should be should be celebrating. Um, all the all the products and all the all the companies and all the content developers yeah. and every game developers yeah. just if we all just kind of celebrate our, each other and ourselves, I think we're going to be better off. Yeah, I think there's an old, I mean, there's a very uh, common saying that like there's no ethical consumption in a capitalist society. Um, take that for what you will, but I agree that because of the only influence we have on this kind of content is our money, um, right. If we don't pay for stuff that's uh, promoting inclus- inclusiveness, eh, they're not going to keep doing that. Um, and, I mean, it, self-promoting is self-promoting. I mean, every time I mention my Patreon, for example, I, I get this feeling in my stomach like, oh, I'm, I'm doing this to get money. I'm doing this to, to ride the wave to, for easy dollars, you know. But it's also like I want to I work with this full time. The, the only way I can do that is to is to have a patron because YouTube does not give you a lot of money. I'll tell you that. Um, and <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. It's, it's also like at, at one, at what point is it self-promotion at what, at what point is it? Uh, I don't even know what else to call it. Like uh, uh, greed. It, it's, it's such a weird thing. Um, it's hard to, it's hard to say it's hard to say that it is greed when it's like, okay, I'm also working uh, yeah. and I'm, I'm spending off hours working on this other passion project. And there's a yeah. large amount of people who are really enjoying what I'm doing and are saying, yes, please keep doing it and please keep, keep making more. And even some who are um, helping to support, literally support and fund your, your efforts. Um, I think all that's really doing and all it should do is kind of add more fuel to that passion to that fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, if you if you primogen can get to a point where you are living off of living your dream and doing what you love, that gives people like me and everybody else a huge amount of hope that okay, look, look what this guy did. He in a very short period of time decided to really dive into um, a model of creating content to inform people and really help build a positive culture and celebrate games that I love and is now living off of it, that means that there's hope for anybody else who has that same initiative. 
that's I, I mean I, I agree with you i would i feel that way about every other content creator except for me because <laughs> uh, <laughs> i'm like oh, I'm, I'm a i'm a hack I, I don't know what i'm doing um but i i agree and this is not new in nerd culture i mean you've got people like penny arcade you got uh control out delete like this is this is just like an increment of how it's been since the creation of the internet and even before that you had conventions and you had fanzine stuff like that i i would like don't get me wrong if i could get a job in the industry i would love i would love doing that if i could get a job in the industry in the 90s that would have been even better uh yeah, yeah. Um, I, I don't think that anyone in the industry is, is raking in the cash, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, especially with such a niche, a niche game line like um, Oh yeah. Darkness. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I think if passion is what drives it all. Uh, for me, like, I, I, I do feel, I get the imposter syndrome, and I also feel that part of, part of the problem uh, with, a community like with content creators is that it's it's hard to lift it's hard to lift other people um not in the sense that it's hard, you can just press you know um reblog or or whatever on twitter but it's it's hard to if you're not seeing any progress yourself it's very hard to be happy for others progress for a lot of people, a lot of times. I, I felt that way when I had my, my uh, Let's Play channel. I put three years into that. We released one episode every day, every weekday. I spent every weekend editing videos. Got nothing back. Yeah. Not even, not even a blip on the map. And it was very disheartening because this is what I want to do. I want to, to do stuff on YouTube. I, I, I'm a teacher normally. I love hearing myself talk obviously um and that's a bad thing to say but i i like talking and i like spreading information but that was so disheartening and i got so resentful um both with the people i was working with yes i i, I can admit to that i actually at one point i had a minor uh meltdown when i was on vacation because things didn't work exactly like the way i wanted them to because another guy in the channel took over the editing and, and putting it online and it didn't go online the time we said it was going to go online and i literally had a meltdown because i was like i can't leave this for 10 minutes without it breaking down and <laughs> at the end of it i was like jesus i need to go to therapy about this i had to go to therapy about it and i did for quite a while and ultimately i landed in the realization that a lot of this is completely out of your control yeah um you can scream yourself uh, blue in the face, but unless you're lucky, and I think uh, I think luck is a huge factor in it. Uh, you won't you won't really grow that much that fast anyway. But if you work hard and you 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 will grow. Um, not saying that, but also I think it's really unfair to like actual plays. I see a lot of really, really good actual plays online. A lot of people yeah. put their their heart and soul into it, and it's not giving the dividends that you'd, you'd hope for. Actual plays are in a tough situation because they're usually long and requires a commitment from the listener. So it's unfair, for example, to compare my channel with its small videos, which is very lore-focused, to an actual play, for example. Which is kind of a, a slower burn. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, 
I, I mean, I my content pales in comparison to a lot of actual players out there who put so much time and energy into their production value, into costumes, into acting like they're, they're doing a lot of work, and it's just hard to get the views. Uh, I mean, I promote myself. I still every time I release a video, I go on Reddit to two different, two to three different subreddits. I post links and I write, uh, com like I try to write relatively unique texts between the different channels or subreddits. I go to two to three Facebook groups and I, I do it. I promote it on my Twitter and I write a post on my social. Like I do a lot uh, every time I release a video. Uh, and I would say that has done more for my growth uh, than, than the quality necessarily of my content. It's, I think it's really salient though. It's because we do the same thing, right? It's like you have to post on 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 yeah. facebook and on, yeah. and on twitter and on reddit and yeah. there's there's now all these different channels that are that yeah. are conducive to that and we have our discord and we have a facebook group and there's a yeah. you know a, multiple discords that are within the same genre so you have to kind of go around and kind exactly. of throw your flyers out i guess is kind of what exactly. we're doing um but there are yeah. other there are other actual plays like um I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's a fairly old one. I don't think it's around still, but it's okay. called it's called Hidden Grid, the Six World Chronicles podcast. And I'm not familiar, no. If you like if you like um Shadowrun, yeah. it is an amazing actual play from years ago that I I was listening to when nobody was really doing actual plays, especially mm -hmm. on podcasts, or maybe a few of them, and this was yeah, one yeah. of them. I don't, I don't know how many viewers or how many listeners they had. Not many. Um, mm. But when they decided to stop, I was so like, oh, no. Why? No, yeah, keep going. Yeah, but yeah. I, think, I think that the decision was probably made of like, well, this isn't really going anywhere. And life happens. And I'm just going to yeah, end sure. this now. For sure. And I mean, you can, you can post your actual plays online for different reasons. Some people want to save so they can go back and listen. Some yep. people want to try to make it big. Um, I think it's... It's unfair to compare yourself to stuff like Critical Role, Critical Role yeah. um, Adventure Zone, LA by Night. Uh, not only because they uh, have higher production value or they have famous people playing there, but also because they have higher production value and more people. Like, there's a whole crew working on Critical Role. Uh, the Adventure Zone had Mabim Bam running for a long time before they started doing the Adventure Zone. And uh, L.A. by Night was, had a lot of uh, a lot of uh, actors and famous people coming on. Were also yeah. being run on Geeks and Sun Geek and Sundry, who replaced. I, th I think they were supposed to replace Critical Role. Yep. Um, so it was running on prime time, you know. And and uh, that in itself is a magnet. Like if I hear that my favorite voice actor is going to be doing an actual play, I'd be like, heck yeah, I'm going to listen to that. Doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be better, but a lot of people consciously are not are going to give them more of the benefit of the doubt. Um, yeah, there's going to be more. There's going to be more eyeballs or more earballs if yeah. there's famous people, or yeah. if there's actors, or if there are people who are kind of sta established in the industry. Yeah. Um, and that's, yeah. that's that was a big one with with L.A. by Night, and even looking at like Chicago by Night from Near Dark Studios, yeah. which is a bunch of fans like you and I. Yeah. And, and an amazing GM, um, yeah. and amazing players, but they're really just a bunch of people that decided to just start a start an actual play series, and they're and they're killing it right now. Yeah. Um, but they didn't have that initial. Okay, here we have these famous people that everyone knows. No, 
And I mean, if you look at Team Devil's Luck, for example, like uh, Cake from there is, is was playing on on the uh, on the two shot that we did with Trav Travis. Yeah, she's uh, wonderful. Yeah, they are like they bring the costume level to another. Oh like, my god! Yeah, and and they they started the change dealing the Lost Chronicle right around the time when I was starting Little Brook, and I was like, oh my god! You're like, no, wait. <laughs> yeah, I was like, no, uh, don't please, um, because they were just so they lo it looked so much better than anything I could make. Um, and Can I, I let you in on a, on a secret? Sure. We've been we've been tossing around the idea of of releasing an actual play for Vampire the Masquerade for probably about a Ooh. year now, yeah. and we've and we've the, one of the reasons one of the reasons why we decided not to yeah. is because there's so many good actual plays that look so good, yeah. like Devil's Luck, and yeah. we're like, eh, I think I think we're okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I think that's. I mean, it's the same with let's plays. Like you have your big let's players, and then you have so many others. It's not that our let's play that we had back then three years ago. It wasn't bad. I went back and looked at a couple of episodes. I was laughing my ass off. We did really good stuff. I I can with confidence say that we bounce off each other really well. We were in a saturated market, oversaturated market. We had nothing that really made us stand out. Yeah. Um, and we could have struck lucky. That could have happened. A lot of people do every day. They find their niche audience and they just explode. Yep. But I, I went in there with expectations way beyond what was realistic. And when I went into doing the Primogen, um, when I released the first video, the reason I made the Primogen was because I was home one week earlier from our vacation uh, and because I wanted to take care of our cats. We've been gone for two weeks. I was like, shit, I don't, I got my, I got a bonus for the summer and I bought some, I bought some books of a drive-thru RPG and I was like, all right, maybe I, see, I haven't made anything in a while. I guess I should make something. So I made that video and it didn't explode. I did get a lot of subscribers because I posted everywhere, um, but it was enough for me to be like, all right, maybe I should make a couple of more. Um, and then I just keep making more stuff. It's also thanks to people like Huddy von Schland. Uh, it's thanks to you, you guys and the Virtual Horror Con. Thanks to Outstar, who like promoted uh, my uh, analysis of the trailer for the for um, Bloodlines Two. It's a community. Ugh. It's a cooperative, cumulative. God, how do you say that? Um, everyone gets together, promotes each other, and I think that's key to it. Like, if I see someone's, oh, we're we're streaming this or we're doing this, I hit uh, reblog right away on Twitter. I'd always try to do that. Yeah, same. because because it's just there's so much stuff out there. It's not about selling yourself. It's not about shilling. It's about being visible. If uh, just you know one extra reblog is going to have another person notice this and they'd be like oh i'm going to check this out it's it's we, we don't we can't push each other down or compete for attention um i feel bad when i felt really bad when i made my trailer analysis because i was like this is more josh's huddies and outstars territory but like some people asked me if i could do it and i did it every like <laughs> everyone's watched all the all the different takes because we're all different we all make different stuff and it's it's dipping your dipping your toes into a pool where there's a bunch of people sitting there going, yeah, come on in. Oh, oh yeah. cool. You decided to to review our game. Awesome. Yeah. This is our yeah. territory, but you're definitely welcome here. And I think it kind of goes back into inclusiveness. Yeah. And the idea of, and this is something that I heard from from a, a very wise individual who I met at, at uh, PAX Unplugged. 
Um, mm-hmm. And this guy told me after speaking to him for a little bit, he's like, listen, I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for the people back then who a helped me out and B promoted the hell out of what I was doing. Yeah. And so we have to kind of stand on the shoulders of the, the giants that are our mm-hmm. colleagues and celebrate how tall they are. Yeah. While at the same time celebrating how tall you can be. Yeah. I remember, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And I think one of the things that really made me want to make more content was that Jason Carl liked my posts, liked my first video. He just liked it on Facebook. And I was like, oh my God, the Jason Carl just liked my video. And and that was enough um, to, for me to be like, I'm going to make more content and I've got to make better content because now people are no, actually no, watching. Carl's watching, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and I, I, I want to make good stuff. Um, sometimes I've kind of phoned it in with the, the pictures in the background. And I, I do a lot of like my little guy emoting. Sometimes I'll be like, ah, I can stretch this out another couple of seconds before I change this pose. Um, well, because I, I, I love your I love your aesthetic, and I think that now your that green marble in my yeah. mind is synonymous with your brand almost as much as it, it is synonymous with revised. Wow, that that uh, that is uh, that is a huge thing to hear. Thank you so much for saying that. I I love the green marble. It was what made me buy the revised edition to begin with. I saw the cover, and I was like, that that looks neat. Somebody um, has that marble somewhere, by the way. Oh wow! I was I, talking I, to I was talking to Mark Reinhagen in one of our yeah. Twitch interviews, and yeah. he's like, I, he's like, I don't know who has it, but somebody from the team still has that in their house. Oh man! If I ever, <laughs> if I ever have enough money to buy it, I would, I would in a heartbeat. That green marble <laughs> has meant so much to me through the years. Um, well, I gotta, I gotta say, this has been an amazing conversation, and I want to have you on again. But before we end this. Um, where can people find you? What do you have coming up? Oh, uh, absolutely. This has been really great. Uh, let's see. Well, I'm obviously the Primogen on Twitter and YouTube. That's where you... Twitter is the easiest way to reach me. I'm very chatty there. So if you want to shoot the shit, just send me a comment. Uh, I do uh, Change the Lost Little Brook reunion over at Twitch on the Onyx Path every Thursday. Uh, and... Um, I am also working on the thing that I'm, that's coming up right now. Uh, I do I did hit my Patreon goal recently, so I will be running Stockholm by night, but that's a Patreon exclusive thing. What I am running is the Giovanni Chronicles that I will be running a one on YouTube. Uh, I don't I don't know if there's a better term for that, but it's one on one, but with all of YouTube. So I will be. <laughs> I, I, I'm I'm glad you like the idea. I'm a little bit concerned because it's released by Black Dog industries or black dog publishing which is the the naughty brand of white wolf um but i'm definitely not going to be explicit because obviously youtube uh but i'm really excited about that i've had some polls uh, with the the patrons because patrons get to vote on certain key decisions and we are playing a uh we are playing a male prostitute from venice is what we landed up on that's amazing yeah, very excited to play this guy and or storytell for this guy rather. And we've designed him. He's he's a very caring person. His nature is a caregiver, and his demeanor is chameleon. So he's more of like a social chameleon who can basically make his way in any kind of society. Um, very interested in running that. It will be it will it will not be as often updated because it will have foley work and stuff like that. I'll try to make it really 
you know, high quality as, as high as I can make it. Are you going to be doing the Foley work? Uh, I'll be seeing if I can use Foley work from tabletop audio. I'm not nice. entirely sure about the, the, uh, the, uh, I'm not going to monetize them. That's for sure. I'm also running, you know, official content, but I'm not sure how okay tabletop audio is with that stuff being used, but it's, it's a great, I can really plug it. It's a great website for background music and for Foley work. That's so cool. I should check it out. Cause I was just imagining you like on all fours <laughs> with like slippers in your hand, you know, walking down a marble hallway. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I would love to do that, but that would take way too long. But tabletopaudio.com is amazing. 10 minute, uh, um, 10 minute audio, uh, background music and sounds, uh, lots of like Foley work for all kinds, lightning storms, thunder, rain, all that stuff. Uh, very, very useful website. Awesome. Well, Primogen, thank you again. Um, I'm looking, really looking forward to the Giovanni Chronicles. If you're not following the Primogen, I suggest, highly suggest you follow him on all the channels between YouTube, podcast, subscribe, uh, support his Patreon. Um, there's some really, really good stuff you've been putting out, and I'm really excited about the future things that you're working on right now. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Gehenna Gaming Podcast. Your attention has been noted. You can find us online at GehennaGaming.com, on Twitter at GehennaGaming, twitch.tv slash GehennaGaming, and patreon.com slash GehennaGaming. And remember, not the